this past uh, doesn't, uh, you know, we don't lose any time. But essentially what I want to speak about uh, today is just to expand a little bit on what we've been talking about. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've been learning that we are actually kings and how wonderful and glorious it is to be a king. We've learned that we are not just priests, but we are kings and priests. And we know that kings decree, so we've learned about that. And we know that priests offer sacrifices. And we are not one or the other, we are both. We are kings and we are priests. And we drilled in a lot into being, you know, king, being this king and the role that we have, um, you know, and so forth. And, uh, you know, as I thought about it, I've been thinking about it to say, well, if you came to me uh, or if I came to me, could I, I don't know, that sounds weird. But if I, if I spoke to myself and I said, Rudzani, you're a king, my next immediate question to Rudzani would be, over which kingdom? And that's a hard question, isn't it? Because we are certainly not kings over the kingdom of God, okay? And we are certainly not kings of the, the kingdom of Satan. So what are we kings over then? Um, and I just want to touch a little bit on that. Um, you know, essentially, we are kings in the sense that the Lord has commissioned us to a specific area, that area being our workplace, our area of residence, to go and make that place look like heaven. Now, kings do this all the time. When they want to colonize an area, they don't necessarily go there themselves. They send a prince, okay? They send somebody lower than them who goes and takes over that place and makes it look like home. And that's exactly our responsibility and what we ought to be doing. We have the pleasure and the absolute privilege of extending the influence of the Lord wherever we find ourselves. We are there for a reason. We are not kings just over our own pleasures and what we want. It's actually about what the Lord wants. And the Lord actually has desires. He has a wonderful and a perfect will. Now, we spoke a little bit in the morning, and I won't go too much into it, about if we look at the first coronation of Adam. Adam was coronated as king. And when the Lord coronated him, he said, I'm going to make man, let us make man in our own image and likeness so that they may have what? Dominion. So that means it was a coronation. That's what kings have. They have dominion. So Adam was coronated and he was given dominion. Now, what's wonderful to learn from that uh, sort of, uh, you know, exposition of uh, the Adamic uh, coronation is that the Lord actually established the domain of Adam before he created Adam. So in other words, what Adam was going to rule over existed before he came. Now, it's the same with us. The Lord has already said, wherever you stay is going to be saved. He's already said your workplace is going to save. He's already said your, your family is going to be saved. It's a done deal, but now he coronates you as a king to go and roll it out. That's all you are doing. So you're not rolling out a different kingdom except that which the Lord is doing. Now, there's a danger that I spoke about to say, Adam, given that he wasn't the first creation of God, but he was the apex of the creation, what could have happened easily is that he could have showed up and said, well, I see a tiger, I see a monkey, I see a cow. Oh, I'm most like a monkey. Let me climb trees like the monkey does. Let me eat bananas like the monkey does. And therefore, that's what it means to be human. But Adam would have completely robbed the creation species from ever experiencing God. Because although they might have never seen God themselves, they surely saw him because he was in the image and likeness. They experienced the Lord. And it's the same with our saints. So when the Lord deploys us to our workplaces, to our areas of residence, and we become exactly like them, we rob them the privilege and opportunity to see God through us. The Lord might never visit your complex. He might never visit your family. But your family will surely experience the Lord because you are there. 
You are the king coronated for the specific purpose of bringing his kingdom, his glory, into wherever you find yourself. It's not a light thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is an amazing privilege that the Lord includes us in. And it is not. Like, the thing with it, the other area, the other error we can make in our, area, in our areas of staying, for example, we can assume that being a king just means staying in a bigger place. So it's all about upgrades. We can assume in our workplace that being a king is all about getting the biggest bonus, the biggest increase, and also a promotion. But the sinner wants that as well. And the Lord challenges us in Matthew 5, Luke 6, and say, what more are you going to do? What is it to your credit when you want exactly what the sinners want? In fact, when you want exactly the same thing that the Gentile and the sinner wants, it is a clear indication that you have conformed to the pattern of this world. But because we are in the kingdom of God, we're not the same. We don't want the same thing. And the glorious thing about this is that the Lord promises he will add those things anyway. Why are you fretting over a promotion that the Lord will add? Why are you fretting over an increase that the Lord will add? Why? Because we're like the world. And we must not be like the world. Okay? Because everything in us is different. The only thing that, is li- that we can share in common between us and the world is our Adam, you know, our Adam heritage. We are from the same ancestor. But other than that, we're completely different. And our desires have to be very different as well. Okay? Now, in closing that sort of uh, you know, area and focusing on the next, I'm going to read 1 John 2 quickly. Verse 15, he says, Do not love this world, okay? nor anything it offers for when, the love of the, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Isn't that interesting? Don't love this world and anything that's in it. It's in the Bible, okay? It says, for the world offers only cravings of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. I'm probably reading NLT, by the way, probably. Uh, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. Isn't that true? You get a bigger thing, you are, you know, it kicks you, you know, just does something in you, you feel more important, you feel, you know what, uh, I have arrived, okay? Uh, and then when you are there after a while, the feeling dies down, you want the next bigger thing. And then it just repeats and repeats and repeats. That's exactly what the Bible is saying. It's the cravings of everything we see, it's the pride of achievements and possessions, and it's the craving of physical pleasure. And it says, these are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And the world is fading away, saints along with everything, uh, with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases the Lord will live forever. Isn't that interesting? We mustn't be about the world. Don't chase things that God is going to add anyway. Because even if, though you are chasing it, it's not like it's easier because you pray. It's harder. In fact, sometimes you are even conflicted and say, but Lord, why is that sinner? You know, it's just so easy. But to me, it looks like I've been toiling and toiling and nothing, dololo. But maybe it's because we've made the wrong priority the priority. And the priority ought to be seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do we doubt the Lord? The Lord who sent his one and only son for us. Do we not believe that he will add these things? And if we do, then why do we fret over them? So our fretting is an indication that we don't trust the Lord. And we must trust the Lord. We must believe that his word is true. It's been tried. It's tested. And it will bring forth what the Lord says. His promises are yes and amen. We don't need to doubt him. When the Lord said to Adam, I'm going to make you, I'm making you king over the animals, over the, you know, the, the creeping, creepy crawlies, over the ground, over everything I've made, right? When the Lord said that, he wasn't guessing 
whether Adam can do it or not. He knew absolutely that Adam could do it because he's already set it up. It's already done. It was a done deal. It was just a matter of rolling it out. Now, the danger is that sometimes we think because we face challenges when trying to roll out the kingdom of God, then we are illegitimate. Then we are not supposed to. But that's not the case at all. Even if now somebody passes away and says, by the way, Bill Gates passes away, and it turns out that he left you, you know, a title deed to one of his many millions of properties, right? Do you know that you're not just, you're going to go there, you have proof that it's yours, but the person that's there is not going to let you take it that easy. There's going to be a war. But that's because kings are fighters. And the last king we studied that didn't go to war when we were supposed to, we all know the pornographies he got into, okay? And, uh, you know, and the murders that he got into, the pregnancy that he got into. And you know the scary thing about that story? Even Jesus, when he came, and they were trying to explain his genealogy, they say Solomon is the child of David through Bathsheba, the wife of who? Ah, not David. So that era is still part of his legacy. We could have just known him as a man after God's heart. End of story. How glorious that testimony could have been. But he didn't do what kings are supposed to do. So saints, we are meant to extend the influence of the Lord in our communities. And there is no other kingdom except to do that. Okay. Now we're going to continue in Genesis 2. Um, it says, uh, verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then it continues and explains the process in 21. It says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took out of his ribs uh, and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. He brought her out. He brought her to the man. And Adam says, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay. Now I'm just talking about some mistakes that Adam could have made, that we make. The first one I was just mentioning is that he could have conformed to the creation he found. He could have been like a monkey, isn't it? Now I'm talking about the next part, which is he could have immediately made the kingdom about woman. That's what he could have done, right? And just as an encouragement to the single brothers, notice that although it was just Adam and Eve, there were two people on earth, he still had to share love. You know, he still had to do some poetry. <laughs> you know, he still had to, you know. So even today, you know, there's still some work to be done, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With just the two, I mean, surely, you know, just say, ah, no, you know. It's not like you have an, uh, an option, you know. <laughs> but it was not the case, okay. But that's one thing that Adam could have done. He could have made the kingdom. He could have made his rulership. He could have made his kingship about the woman. And saints, don't we do that so much? When we are single, it's all about getting married. Yes. Once we are married, it's all about, you know, I don't even know what it's about, but people just, we can't ask them because they don't show up in church anymore, right? But for some reason, you know, for some reason, when we are not married, we make it all about getting into the marriage. And then when we are married, we, it's like our devotion just disappears. It goes out the window. The brother who was doing so much, all of a sudden, can't even come to, to, to church. It's now every third week we see you. 
But that's because that kingdom has been reduced. It's no longer the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of the relationship. It's about dating. It's about romance. That's all it is. And I'm not anti-romance, guys. Uh, I'm not anti at all. But that's not what it's about. That's just a small thing of this entire thing. We need to be careful. Now, we can learn from Adam because if we read Genesis 3, 2, and uh, we see that Adam actually discipled his wife, okay? Because his wife knew that, oh, no, we may eat uh, from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. How would she have known that she wasn't there? It's because Adam did do some discipleship in the house. You know, so you can see that he was already expanding, that this kingdom is actually about, you know, this domain that we have. And in this domain, the restriction is this. Now, when we start to look at this and we start to think about it, like I'm always surprised that when Jesus spoke about marriage in Matthew 19, which we read as well, the disciples actually thought this is hard. Yet we read it and we just want to jump in. And I think it's because there's something we are missing. We assume marriage is about our happiness. We assume marriage is about us. It's about, you know, us feeling great. It's about our sexual desires being fulfilled and so forth and so forth. Those are just things that are part and parcel, but it's bigger than that. It's way, way bigger than that. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, okay, let's read it uh, in verse 31. It says, for this reason, no, maybe let's read it higher. And then we'll get to to verse 31. Okay. He starts in 20, let's say 20, yeah, 22. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word. Then let's jump to 31. Then 31, that's when he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, uh, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So it seems that marriage is bigger than what we think, saints. Marriage is really God's constant parable about the relationship between Christ and the church. That's what it is. God is looking for a picture to explain what this relationship looks like. And he says, oh, marriage. Marriage does it. That's why when you read through the prophets, when you read through the Old Testament, somehow Israel is personified as a woman and God as the husband and Israel is idolatrous and so forth and so forth. Because marriage has always been a picture that God wants to use to explain something deeper and something so much more. Meaning that when we actually make marriage about just the simple things and the things that in any case the Lord will add when we get things right, we reduce the size of our kingdom. We are not about just, you know, marriage and it's about getting into marriage and once you're married, I don't even know what it's about once you're married, you know. But it's a strange thing. But, but one thing is for certain our devotion wanes. Our devotion reduces, and in some cases, by 100%. But if you study Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this whole thing is about devotion. It's about devotion to the Lord. Okay? So even when he's talking about how the married man has worldly concerns, like how he might please his wife, and similarly the wife, he concludes with, 
I'm actually talking about devotion. It's about devotion to the Lord. Now, if the kingdom then is about showing this relationship, um, the, the marriage is about showing this relationship between Christ and the church, then we need to start thinking about marriage a little bit differently. We need to realize that marriage then should bring its observers into relationship with Jesus. Marriage then should challenge people to believe in Jesus more. Marriage then becomes a parable. When we look at it, we say, wow, that's how the church is supposed to submit because we see the joys of a woman fully submitted. That's how love is supposed to happen because we see the joys of a, lo- of a, of a husband completely loving. So even when we are down and uh, not feeling great that day, we can just look at a marriage. And that marriage is able to minister to us. Amen. But when we reduce our kingdom and make it about women, then we are caught up in worldly matters only. We'll be obsessed with just pleasing the person. If they wake up in the wrong side of the bed, that day we don't worship Jesus at all. Because how can we when they've woken up on the wrong side of the bed? I'm not against marriage. As you can see, I'm married myself. But what I'm saying is that marriage is bigger than what we think. And it is an error to make it smaller. And that error extends to our own personal influence as kings of God. It is a massive, massive error. We need to think bigger. Okay? And you can see the smallness of thinking in the sense that statistically, the church has the same number of divorces as the world. How can it be the case? Because it's been reduced. It's smaller than what it's supposed to be. And you can hear it so often, like how often do you see the meme sent by a Christian about how terrible the wife is? Why? Because we've reduced it. And we are conforming with the world's patterns. We are conforming with what the world thinks and with what the world does. What else? This is supposed to be a powerful picture for us to better understand the relationship between Christ and the church. And if we start to think about it, we'll start to appreciate that actually the marriages we celebrate often are the longest marriages, and rightly we should. But the world does that too. So how much more are we celebrating in marriage? So we should start thinking and saying, wow, I'm going to celebrate this marriage. Although this marriage is two months old, ten people have been saved. What is the marriage doing for the kingdom? Let's not obsess over the wrong thing, saints. Let our lives be completely about extending the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ into every area we find ourselves. And so be it when we marry, we continue. We don't pause, we continue. Marriage becomes a vehicle and becomes a channel. Because the Lord challenges us in Matthew 5 and Luke 6 to say, actually, how much more are you doing than the sinner? Even the tax collector wants that. Even the tax collector wants a happy wife. But how much more are you doing? Even the tax collector wants well-behaved kids. But how much more are we doing? You know, and interesting enough, you know, um, before we, we had a son, I was very, you know, scared of the prospect of having a child. You know, it's like you, you, you break a phone every so often, and then now you must look after a human, you know? It's a bit challenging of an idea. Uh, okay, it's a bit challenging. But when I was thinking about it, what landed on my heart is that having a child is God's literal way of saying, I am allowing you to touch the next generation. But if we start to think about it like that, our parenting would even be different. It won't be like the world. Even the world wants their child to go to St. Smangmang, you know? But is there something more, saints? Is there something more? 
Are we just working for what the world is working for? Are we just celebrating what the world is also celebrating? Or is there something more? But let me shut up about marriage as I'm not a marriage counselor. <laughs> okay, the next thing I want to talk about is specifically then when we look at this first coronation of Adam, we also see that there aren't just mistakes he could have made. So he could have behaved like the monkeys, right? And robbed that entire community from seeing what God is like. That's telling us that we could conform, but if we conform to the world's ways and behave as they do, the world will not see Jesus. Right? He could have said, oh, well, Lord, you have given me woman. Now my world is completely about woman. Right? In other words, we obsess about getting married, and once we are married, I don't even know what happens. Okay? I just know it's different. So he could have made those mistakes, but it seems that he didn't. Now, but we know for certain that he did make some mistakes. And let's look at Genesis 3 for mistakes that he actually made. It says in verse, maybe let's start it at verse 1. Uh, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, next verse. But what's interesting about this verse is that if you track back the domain of Adam, do you know what it would have included? A serpent. It would have included a serpent. So this was a creature under the domain. Okay? So it's very dangerous, saints, how we actually live out our kingships. Because that's when we can get dominated by things that are in our domain. That's when we can get dominated by sin that we should be ruling over. That's why we can get dominated. Don't be oppressed by things that shouldn't oppress you. But you have to live right. You have to not conform. You have to not make it about what the Lord has not made it about. The Lord has made it about his kingdom and his righteousness. And let's keep that as our reality. It says, Then the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. For me, that's also interesting because it means there was more than one tree in that garden, perhaps a million trees. And yet, by allowing something you should be ruling to actually start ruling, you obsess over what you shouldn't be obsessing over. So you obsess, like we can obsess in doing this sin, but there's so much more in righteousness. Like it's a, it's a, even if we were to spend the rest of our lives trying to unpack righteousness, we still wouldn't be able to. We just see in different parts and parts and parts and parts and parts and parts. Isn't it strange that for the past 2,000 years, the same Bible is being preached and we don't run out? That's to tell us that there's so much the world of God. This is, but let's go to the next verse. Oh, verse 4. Okay, you will surely die. And, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Then the serpent says you will not surely die. So trying to paint God as a liar. Let's go to verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then in verse 6, says, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was pleasant for food, she never saw this before. She never saw it. She saw it as a tree that the Lord says, Don't touch, don't go near. But when she allowed something she should be ruling to start ruling, she started seeing different things. Now she started saying, ah, this is pleasant for food. In other words, the appetite for sin was created. She now wanted to eat what the Lord had said, don't actually eat. And it says that it was pleasant to the eyes. So it's not just good to fill my stomach, but visually this thing is attractive. Like look at it, you know, from different angles. 
Wow, you know, you could just take it and frame it. That's how pleasant to the eyes it, it was. And then thirdly, it says, a tree desirable to make one wise. So she began to see the benefit of sinning. Like the sin became associated with a benefit. It was no longer just sin, but was sin that I'm hungry for, that I think is cute, that I also see its benefit. That is so crazy. But you can see, it all started with allowing a serpent that you could have said, oh, go back, you are under this domain. And then she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave her husband with her. He ate, okay? So T.D. Jakes actually did an interesting sermon a long time ago uh, on, uh, he was talking about Ephesians 5, and he was speaking about how actually, when you start to think about it, Adam is more consistent with what we think is love in the world standards. Because Adam saw that his wife had done wrong and was dying. And he said, I'm going to die with you. <laughs> I'm going to die with you. Isn't that, we love Romeo and Juliet, right? I'm going to die with you. Oh, they died together, you know? She was dead and he also followed her. But Jesus comes and finds his bride dead and decides, I'm going to die to resurrect her. It's a completely different way of thinking. Completely different way of thinking about this. Now, if you, if you read this again and you think about what happened, is that the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. What happened here, saints, is that sin started becoming pleasant and attractive. And can I tell you, saints, when sin becomes attractive, that's when you start running. It's not the time to debate. It's not the time to be smart. That's when you start running. You don't even know the direction. You're just Usain Bolt all of a sudden. You just start running. Okay? When sin becomes attractive, you are in trouble. It will take you places you never anticipated to go. I can tell you that at that moment when she was looking at that juicy fruit, she was no longer thinking about death. She was just thinking, oh my goodness, it is so attractive and juicy. I must have it. So my friends, if you are married and that colleague, that beautiful colleague starts becoming attractive, you run. It's not the time to start checking status updates, okay? It's not the time to take a number and see, okay? You don't follow her on Instagram, okay? So you start running. That's the only response when sin becomes attractive. It happens to us all. Sin does become attractive at some points, and our only response is to run. Amen. There's no other response. Amen. And it's the same, ladies. You know, if you are not married and you are there minding your own business at a Nando's line, line you know, and this man with a Maserati comes and says, baby, I, I, I saw you from out there and I knew I must introduce myself. You run. Just start running. Uh, don't ask. It's not the time to giggle. Don't giggle. You'll giggle later. Just run. Okay. Just run. Okay. Just run. Oh, no, no. I'm saying he's a married man. Okay. Either he's a married man or he doesn't know the Lord. Yeah, you start running. You don't find out, oh, okay, maybe we can save him. You know? Maybe if we start a prayer group. No, 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 no. You start running. We saw this with Joseph and Potiphar's wife, isn't it? He knew she was attractive. He knew she was beautiful. And perhaps he even knew, hey, she's giving me eyes. Okay? Perhaps he even saw it early that, yeah, ah, ah, ah. And that's why he never actually spent alone time with her. The only time Potiphar's wife found him alone, that's when she made her move. And he didn't even know what's going on. He just started running. 
Okay, she grabbed the jacket, he was gone. He didn't know the directions. Am I going to run into a wall? Am I not? I'm just running. Because that's the best response when sin becomes attractive. It is not the time to, to speak in tongues. Just run, okay? You will speak in tongues when you get there, okay? Just run, just run. And sometimes we think, oh, you know, uh, this is happening, but I can explain to this lady that I'm not available. Don't explain, just run, okay? She will out-explain you, you know? You'll be embarrassed there. Just run, okay? Delete the number and run. There is nothing to explain to temptation. There's nothing. There is no conversation necessary. You just run. Okay? Otherwise, you will find yourself caught in things that you shouldn't be caught in. And it will make your kingdom small. Think about this. The fact that they didn't run. The fact that they didn't say, snake, I subdue you. You are under my domain. Their kingdom reduced. The soil rejected them. How they give birth was painful. Like it added so much, it made the kingdom smaller. But it's because they didn't subdue or run. I'm surprised that Usain Bolt is not a Christian, you know, because he runs so fast. I think we should be the fastest runners because when temptation comes, what do you do? You run. Okay? Don't discuss it. Okay? Don't Google why, why, why can't I overcome this temptation? On the same computer, you're thinking about pornography. Okay? You just run. Okay. There's actually, um, you know, the, the little that I've learned about biology. They say that uh, when you are startled, uh, there's adrenaline which is released. And that adrenaline will tell you to either flee or to fight. Yeah. At that point, when it's temptation that startled you, my friend, there's no time to fight. Just run. Okay? Just run. Don't look back. Don't look anywhere. Just run. You'll figure it out once you are out of the danger zone. And then you can say, oh, okay, I survived, you know. But if you don't run, we know David didn't run, isn't it? David went up. He was doing what he wasn't supposed to be doing because he was supposed to be at war. But he decided, oh, you know what? I have a great palace. I I haven't been to to the top or the, the penthouse in a long time. Let me go to the penthouse today. And when he gets to the penthouse, he has a good view of a woman's uh, bathroom as she's actually bathing. That was the time to run. And run. That's what he should have done. But he actually lingered. And he said, yo. I have many wives, but this kind, I don't have. He lingered and he lingered. And even after the moment, we know for certain that there was time lag. He had been thinking about it. Perhaps he slept and dreamt about this woman, doing things to her, whatever. She was just on his mind. She was like, ah, that body, that what, what, that what, what, that what, what. To the extent that he had to ask how dishonorable for somebody that was considered a man after God's own heart, to go and ask and say, I saw somebody bathing. I saw somebody's wife naked. Tell me who it is. And go fetch her for me. He didn't shell her. He just... But David should have run. He should have said, my heart is after the Lord's heart. Amen. That's who I am. Yeah. But he transformed and said, I'm after Bathsheba's heart instead. I'm after Bathsheba's body. And even now, today, as I mentioned, when the story of David is mentioned, it is glorious, it is wonderful. But this is a core theme of his life. 
Imagine how much more different the story could have been. Amen. It is even a theme of Solomon's life. Yeah. When we mention Solomon, we have to say he was, con- he was conceived, you know, he was from Uriah's or- or- wife. Just run, my friends. Yeah. Just run. Don't linger. Don't think about it. Don't try, fi- don't try fight. Just run. Amen. Get out. Amen. And interesting enough, Solomon, although he was under the law, he began to understand this idea so deeply, although he didn't run a thousand times, but he began to understand this idea that one must run, and he realized that actually running is not only physical, but we must run in our hearts. Amen. That's why he says in Proverbs 6.35, he says, don't lust in your heart after her beauty. Because when we are lusting, when we are busy, you're just incubating, you know, that person thinking about it, everything. When the opportunity comes, you won't survive it. Because it's already incubated. But if you run in your heart, then you have the opportunity to even run physically. So don't allow it. In fact, the Bible tells us to guard our hearts above all else, for it determines the course of our lives. How important. It is not worthwhile to make our hearts the meditation center of sin. Yes, nobody can see there, but the Lord does. And it is not pleasing to the Lord that we are entertaining vile things in our hearts, as opposed to running. And you know, the heart is, uh, is not a magical creature or anything. It's quite simple. It will meditate on what you feed it. So if you keep feeding it the wrong things, it's going to meditate on the wrong things. It's going to incubate and want the wrong thing. And when the opportunity to express, you'll be very surprised. I hardly think that there are people who end up in adulteries that didn't pass by pornographies. I think that there was an incubation period and then an expression privately, which then just blew up. There was no power. Why? Because the wrong things are being entertained. So what I'm saying, saints, is that when sin becomes attractive, it is not the time to get advice, it is the time to run. Attractive sin especially the one where you see its benefits, like Eve did, a sin which is so hard to repent from. Notice that if you read all of Genesis 3, you will not find a single instance of them repenting. To this day, they never repented because the sin was what? Attractive, useful, beneficial. That's how they saw it. And sometimes it's so scary because I've had conversations with men And sometimes they will convince you that their pornographies are permissible. And they will convince you so strongly that it's scary that you'll start to feel sympathetic about their sin. They could even cry in that moment to convince you. I actually had somebody who was quite close to me back in the days and he he was trying to convince me that his fornication was okay telling me that actually we have different struggles as Christians. Your struggle is different from mine. Why would you judge me? I struggle with not doing it or doing it, whatever, however you position it. But friends, I have to warn you and tell you that if you read through the entire Bible, you will never find anywhere. If you find it, please do come and show me. Um, And uh, it might be, let me not uh, offend Uh, versions of cults at this stage. But it might be 
from a version that the Lord doesn't recognize, if you find this. But you will never find a single instance throughout all of Scripture that permits habitual sin. No instance at all. The Lord is gracious. You know, sometimes we make mistakes, okay? But a mistake and a habit are not the same things. So we need to be very careful to say the sin which is attractive is the sin that will lead you to death. It is a sin that will destroy you. It will make your kingdom so tiny. You realize that this sin of Adam and Eve twisted things. In Romans 5, it tells us that sin actually reigned. In fact, it tells us two things. It tells us that sin was introduced to the whole world through this one man, Adam, and through it death reigned. And then it also tells us that sin reigned. But it tells us that the righteous are supposed to reign. So it means something was shifted. The wrong king is installed when we entertain sin. And sin becomes that king. It even tells us that, look, whoever you obey, you are actually slaves to that person. Now, let's quickly look at Cain uh, and Abel's story in Genesis 4 quite quickly. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Also, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and they are fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. And then he said, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule it. Okay? And we know already what happens with this story. But in Matthew 5, this is why the Lord emphasized this to say, You know, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And that's the challenge, saints. That's the challenge. At this point, to Cain, it became beneficial to actually kill his brother. Because he thought, oh, I was rejected because there was comparison. Take out the competition. It became beneficial. It became attractive. He incubated it. That is why that even though the Lord himself spoke, he still did it. Isn't it weird that the Lord literally spoke and he still did it? And remember, this is Old Testament time, so often the Lord spoke audibly. So there was no, I'm not sure if it was God. It was clear as day and night that the Lord has spoken. Meaning that even though the Lord spoke, the attractive, pleasing sin that we think is beneficial is hard to repent from. God himself spoke and he still did it and killed his brother anyway. When sin becomes attractive, it is the time to run. Because sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. That was God's advice. And there's a lesson there. It says, and if you, it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you are excellent, will the Lord not be pleased? There is protection, saints, from just being excellent. And this excellence was very specific. He wasn't talking about his uh, tilling of the ground. He was actually talking about the sacrifices that had made. 
So sometimes we are excellent at work, but we are slack when it comes to serving God. We are excellent at work, but we don't want to even get involved in what the church is doing. But we don't realize that that will protect us. And you can even think about it practically, saints. If, we, if you start serving in the church and we are serving in the same team, if I don't see you for two weeks, I'm giving you a call. It's protected you. Where are you? But if you're not doing anything, I don't see you for one month, I don't give you a call. Because I don't know you. There's a lesson there, saints. We must be excellent in serving God. Now, as I close and wrap up, what I want to highlight back in Genesis 3, it says, when sin becomes attractive, when it becomes appetizing, and when it seems useful, just start running. Don't stick around, okay? Don't find out why. It's not the time to question and say, ah, but why am I feeling like this? No, you'll question later. Just run. Okay. In Romans 6, 18, it says, Do you not know whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So although the Lord is saying you are a king, a kingdom king, here is your domain. This is you. Sin comes and says, I'm happy with your domain, but I'm over you. You can't be as effective as you should be. You know, one of the most famous sermons in Venda, where I'm from, was called Chibichao. You know, you must download, even if you don't understand that language, that sermon will bless you. You know, but that sermon was so powerful you know, so, so powerful. But he was just explaining to say, look, as a Christian, don't joke around with sin. Your sin will catch up to you and it will destroy you. Don't make the mistake that the first coronated kings and queen of earth made by allowing what they're supposed to subdue to subdue them, by allowing what is supposed to be vile, what is supposed to be gross to them, to actually be appetizing, to be pleasing, to be useful. Don't allow that to actually happen. Because the moment you do that, you are in trouble, my friend. You are in trouble. And as I said, sin reigned, okay, in death. It reigned. But there's good news that right now in this dispensation of Jesus Christ, grace reigns. You know, there's grace that is available for us to run to. So don't figure out, oh, this running thing, you know, I must run away from the church because I've made a mistake. Or, you know, which is what many people do. You change churches, right? Uh, but you'll run out of churches sometimes. So don't change churches. Run to the Lord. Amen. That's what we're supposed to do. Run to the Lord. Because in the Lord, there's fullness of grace. So you get to the Lord and the Lord showers you with grace and says, my son, you are here. And then you have to explain to God and say, but Lord, I've done this. The Lord says, ah, you're covered by the blood. He says, no, 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 I have to explain to you. Are you covered by the blood? No, 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 you don't understand, Lord. No, no, you are covered by the blood. But Lord, I have guilt. No, my blood deals with that too. I have shame. My blood deals with that too. You are covered by the blood. So you run to the Lord and you cling on to him for dear life. You don't run away from God. Because who do you think you're going to find there? It's the kingdom of darkness. You are tempted here and you run. I know. Don't run away from the Lord. Run towards the Lord. Amen. That's the right way to run. And when you get that, the Lord says, forgiven, justified. 
and you feel like, but Lord, I haven't done you know, anything to earn it. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all on that cross of Calvary and is just waiting for people to repent. Just waiting for people to say, yeah, I admit I've done some stuff, but I accept that Jesus has done it all. And I know in my own efforts, in my own strength, no matter how hard I work, I'm never going to meet the standard of God to be justified. But I accept his justification. And in that moment of acceptance is the moment of grace. And the grace releases the power to say no to sin and yes to godliness. It doesn't just say forgiven. It actually says empowered. It doesn't just say, okay, it's fine. We, the past. No, no. It says future. You are covered and you have power. So grace doesn't cover you to continue. It actually empowers you to actually stop. You can conquer. You can win. So that is why kings of the kingdom of God have no choice but to operate in the grace. Jesus tells us, rather Paul tells us, that through Jesus we have access to this grace in which we now stand. That's in Romans, right? It's a grace. We are standing in it. So no matter where we are found, we should be found in grace. Even if the Lord deploys us to such and such a company, we should be standing in grace there. Even if the Lord deploys us to such and such a complex, we should be found in grace there. The moment we are not in grace, we are in dangerous waters. Because we start to think that our works are what makes a difference. We start to ignore the Holy Spirit's work in us. But the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to activate and to actually roll out this kingship. We can't do it by ourselves. We do it through Jesus Christ. Okay. So in conclusion, what am I saying? We have saints to lay down everything that hinders. Amen. We have to not have room for sin. Amen. Because it's wanting to actually take over. Amen. We have to not allow ourselves to continue habitually in things that the Lord has spoken so clearly against. And I'm telling you, that's when you're going to feel the power of the Lord. Amen. It's amazing that it's the, it's the week that I'm praying, okay? It's the week that I'm trusting God, that I'm reading his word, that I feel so powerful. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm just walking, I'm like, ah, this soul, who can take it, Lord. Yeah. But it's the week that I'm not doing that, that I feel so weak. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, God, but what if he doesn't say yes? You know, what if they insult me? What if they, you know, what if, oh, what, what if, what if, what if, what if is an indication that we're not spending time with the right, with the right people? Amen. We need to spend time with the Lord. Amen. And the Lord will launch us so that we can rightly rule over the domain that he has prepared for us. Amen. This is a journey, saints, of saying, I trust you, Jesus. It's saying that I trust you and I believe that as I lay down everything, you will do the adding. Don't chase what the Lord has not commissioned you to chase. Yes. Don't harbor what the Lord has not permitted you to harbor. Amen. Don't hold on to things that Jesus is not holding on to. But rather, go to the Lord and lay it all down. Amen. Because it is his desire to say, I'm deploying as kings, but to expand and extend my influence over this entire city. But if we are kings under sin, how can that work? We have to be kings walking and living out in grace. So let's just stand up and we're going to pray. So what I'm talking about, saints, you can't and it is impossible to defeat 
sin in your life without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, you're just a slave. That's all you are. But when Jesus enters the scene and releases grace, that's when you're able to be free. So I'm talking specifically to those who are hearing this message and you're saying, well, I want to be a king of God and I want to deal with the sin thing, but you've never accepted Jesus. You're not walking with him. Like it's not going to help you. You're just going to get stuck in some expression of religion that has no power. And you're going to be surprised that you keep getting stuck at the same place over and over again because you can only conquer up to what your strength allows you. But when you have Jesus, it's not about your strength, it's his strength. He's the one that conquered sin on the cross of Calvary. We didn't conquer it. I wasn't alive. I wasn't there. But Jesus did it. He conquered sin on the cross of Calvary. And he declares us free. He declares us righteous. He declares us kings. He declares us as a people who have dominion. And he commissions us and says, go, my son, take over. Because I've already prepared this. So if you are here, friends, and you don't know Jesus, Christ, I want to pray with you. you know, and if you lift your hands and say, I want to know him, we'll introduce you to Jesus today. But don't think you can conquer sin by your own efforts. You are purely a slave. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So if you lift up your hands, we'll be able to pray for you. Is there anybody like else? Like, is there anybody here like that? I don't see any hands. Okay, awesome. So as you are in the kingdom, I want to implore you and say, stand in this grace Amen. that the Lord made available. Amen. And conquer everything that the Lord says you are a conqueror over. He says you're supposed to rule over sin. So don't allow any habitual sins to have room in your life. It lessens the impact and the power of your kingdom. You can't do as much as you're supposed to. And also you feel unworthy. You feel like I'm not supposed to. But the Lord says, I've dealt with it on that cross of Calvary. You just have to accept it by faith and walk in it. So, saints, let's just pray and pray for yourself. You know, pray for yourself as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning. I believe that there are specific things is highlighted, but speak to him about those. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to lay down your life again, do it. But do whatever it takes to not be conquered by things that the Lord has not permitted you to be conquered by. Let's pray, saints. Father, we just pray in the mighty name of Jesus and say we trust you, we believe you. We believe you, O oh Father, that your word is true, that we, are, we, O oh God, as your righteous people, are supposed to be ruling. In fact, you tell us we are ruling, O oh God. So we walk in this reality, we say it's us, O oh God, you are talking about us, us who are justified, who are justified by faith in Christ Jesus and stand in grace, O oh God. We say that's our story, that's our testimony, O oh Father. So we say, Lord, help us, O oh Father, to run towards you when we are challenged, when we are weighed down by temptations, when we have things, O oh God, that hinder us from being as effective as we should be, O oh God. Help us, O oh Father, to walk right, O oh God. We choose, O oh Father, to stand step out from trying to fix it ourselves, from trying to do it ourselves. But we say, Lord, we're going to rely and relax in your grace. We're going to rely and relax, oh Father, in what you have already made available, oh God. You have made available to us new life. You have made available to us ha, ah, Zoe life. What an excellent thing, oh Father, that you have done for us. There is truly none like you, my Father. We love you. We lift you on high. We declare that there is none like you. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. In the mighty name of Jesus. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. 
For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.